Good morning. I'm reading this morning from the second Samuel, chapter 22, verses 1 to 20, and skipping down then to 50 to 51. You can find that in the Pew Bible on page 274, and the following Jesus Bible, starting on page 340. And David spoke to Yahweh the words of this song on the day when Yahweh delivered him from the hand of all his enemies, from the hand of Saul. He said, Yahweh is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. I call upon Yahweh, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon Yahweh. To my God, I called. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked, the foundations of the the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him his canopy, thick clouds a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. Yahweh thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice, and he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning, and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, the foundations of the world were laid bare, at the rebuke of Yahweh, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me. For they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity. But Yahweh was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And then down to verse 50. For this I will praise you, O Yahweh, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if, uh, little ones, first grade and under, want to head over for children's worship. They can line up behind Miss Brittany, and they will lead y'all across the way. My mouse doesn't want to work, so I get to walk today. There we go. Well, four years ago, we met David in the book of 1 Samuel. And who was David? He was a simple shepherd boy chosen by God to be the king of Israel. 
And why was David chosen? Because he was a man after God's own heart. He loved the things that God loved. He thought the ways that God thought. And more importantly, he loved God. And God loved him. But that didn't make David invulnerable to desire, to sinful thinking, or the deadly results of sin. And we've seen that over the last eight weeks. Over the last eight weeks, we've seen the impact of David's fallenness. Four painful punishments were poured out on him because of his sin with Bathsheba. And let us not think that once those four punishments were taken care of, that David's life was smooth sailing from that point onward. No, if you were reading along with our uh, daily reading this week, you saw he had more trouble after those four punishments. And it reminds us that to live life is to face challenges. It's true for David and it's true for us. That distress is a fact of life. Looks like my mouth's going to work now. I just came back on. Distress is a fact of life. You know it's true. Now, you may not be living under some great affliction right now, and for your sake, I hope you aren't. But I bet it's happened before, and the odds are pretty good it's going to happen again. And when we look at David's uh, psalm here, it's not exhaustive in all the distresses that we face, but there are a few that he points out, and I want to draw attention to those. So, for example, we all face the pain of broken relationships. The people that we love fail us, and we fail them. And the breakdown of our relationships brings remarkable distress, does it not? Most painfully, the people closest to us can even become like our enemies. David experienced that. Just think back on his life. Saul, who is like a father to him, became like his enemy. He tried to kill him. It doesn't get much more enemy-like than that. His son led a revolt against him. Again, trying to kill him. Some of David's most trusted advisors turned against him. It's a lot of pain to have to deal with, a lot of relational pain. And today's psalm is kind of like a farewell psalm. David is nearing the end of his life, and after all that turmoil, after all that distress, finally he has a little bit of peace. A little bit of space to think back on his life. And what does he say? Look at verses 18 and 19. And then we're going to look at a part of verse 44, which we we skipped. Verse 18. He says, God rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but Yahweh was my support. And look at verse 44. You delivered me from strife with whom? My people. So the enemies that he faced were not only the enemies outside of Israel, they were the people who were close to him. David had really messed up relationships. And that causes remarkable distress, doesn't it? I didn't know depression. I mean real depression. Until the people I loved and I trusted let me down. It's one thing when the people you don't know and that don't profess to love you, the ones that you don't trust when they oppose you, you know, that's one thing. But when the people who you thought were in your corner, when they hurt you, that's a real hurt. That's a real distress. That's a distress that looms large. That's not the only distress that we face. It's not the only one that David points out 
in this psalm, we also all face a sense of alienation from God because of our sin's guilt and shame. We were made for love. We were made to be loved by God. We were made to live in relationship with him, to know his pleasure and approval. Yet we are born alienated from him. Children of wrath, as we said earlier. That's why we're so hungry for other people to love us, to approve us, because our sin has separated us from our most important and most fundamental relationship. And that distress, alienation from God, is our most fundamental distress. We regularly feel alone in the world. We feel unloved and unlovable. We feel like there's just something wrong with us. And if in that space we gain some glimmer of truth as to who God is, if we see him in his holiness and his splendor, all that does is make us fear him, right? We saw this distress, this sense of alienation in David's experience back in Psalm 51 when he said this, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not, you hear this fear? Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. If you have not experienced this distress a sense of cosmic alienation from your creator, if you have not experienced this distress yet, I pray that you will. Because this distress exposes our most essential need. But even as Christians, we can still experience this distress from time to time when we're not remembering the promises of the gospel. Now, of course, this reminds us of another common distress the looming reality of death and eternity. We're all going to die, and after that, the judgment. Now, many of you here are strong and, uh, you know, youthful and probably in your mind sheltered from death, but there comes a point in our lives where it becomes an inevitable reality. I was talking to my grandmother. Well, it was my grandfather, actually. My grandmother was back for surgery on Monday, and I was talking to my grandfather, and he said, I don't know what happened. He said, one day I was young, the next day I was old. He said, one day I I was never going to die, and the next day it could happen at any moment. We can't escape this reality. There comes a point where every one of us has to look into the void of death and whatever lies beyond, and that causes remarkable distress. (laughs) Unbelievable distress. David faced the reality of death. On an almost daily basis, he was a man of war. And what did he say? Look at verses 5 and 6 in verse 22. You may have heard this quoted before. It's so powerful. He says, For the waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol, the grave, entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. What's David saying? He watched the lives of men expire on the battlefield. Even at the end of his own sword, men in the vigor of their youth, bleeding out on the ground. His best friend died on the battlefield. And more than the wars, he lost more children than anyone could bear. 
And so David knows that his own death is coming. In fact, he had people actively trying to kill him regularly throughout his life. And that caused, you know, reasonably, I think, distress when we realize that death is going to come and that it could come at any moment. It can loom over us like a cloud, can it? But there's a a final distress to which David hearkens in our text. Again, there are a lot of other distresses that I'm sure you may even be experiencing now in your life, but this is another one that he points to. Enemies who hate us that are lurking behind the opposition that we experience in this life. So Saul, the man who was like a father to him and then tried to kill him, Saul was not David's true enemy. The Philistines who hounded Israel throughout David's life from the beginning, they were not his true enemy. No, there is a greater enemy to which David alludes in our text that surpasses all earthly opposition. And I'll use the words of St. Paul. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Who do you think your enemies are? It's not your next door neighbor. It's not your boss or your co-worker, or your child who's rebellious. It's not the friend or family member who stabbed you in the back. It's not the politician that you despise. These people are all patsies. These are people whom we should pity and love and forgive because behind them all is the great enemy of your soul, Satan. He hates you. He hates you more than any earthly being, and he always has And all earthly hate that we experience and see in this world, it derives itself from him. He's hated us since the garden, and he will do anything in his power to steal our joy, to diminish our faith, and ultimately to send us to hell. And he, our great enemy, causes great distress. Distress is a fact of life. It's going to happen. It comes through all these things and more through relational breakdown, through alienation from God, fear of death, and, of course, our great enemy, Satan. So what do we do with that? What can we do when these distresses press upon our hearts, our minds, and our souls to the point we think we just can't take it anymore? We're going to break. When you are distressed call upon the God who hears. When you're distressed, call upon the God who hears. He's not like the gods of the world who have eyes but cannot see and ears but cannot hear. No, he is a God who listens to his people. Look at verse 7. Some of us, myself included, would do well to memorize this verse. David says, in my distress, I called upon Yahweh. To my God, I called from his temple. He heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears. When you're distressed, call, as David did, upon the God who hears. This may sound like the most elementary, basic teaching. This is like Christianity 101. This is what we teach kindergartners like their first week in Sunday school. But in my experience, so few of us do it. 
Why? Because in our distress, we have other things that we turn to for our security, for our safety, for our provision, for our pleasure. And you can keep trusting in those things, but there's going to come a point when they just don't work anymore. You will find them all wanting because nothing can save you from these great distresses but your God. Therefore, when you are distressed, call upon the God who hears. That is, turn from your other securities and pour yourself out to God in prayer, alone and with others. So turn from all those other things and pour out your heart to God in prayer, alone and with others. So in this chapter, we see David alone, right? Alone, crying out to God in his distress. He pours out his heart to God. But this prayer gets adapted for congregational use, and we see it also in the book of Psalms, as Psalm 18, with a few little verbal changes so that it could be sung by the people. And what does that teach us? It teaches us that prayers of distress are not supposed to only happen in private, in secret, but together. Together we call out to God to save us from our distresses, and we pray for one another's distresses. When was the last time you were burdened with the distresses of life, and you went to a Christian brother or sister, and you poured out your distress to them and said, Will you pray for me? Will you pray with me? I cannot bear this alone. We weren't made to bear this alone. This is why we're given a family, a covenant community, to pray with us in our distress. For most of us, this point of the sermon is the most essential. I say it because it's the most essential for me. When I'm in distress, where do I go? Not often to my knees. Not often to my Christian brothers and sisters for prayer. Where do I usually go? To my plants, to my strength. To my coping mechanisms, good and bad. I go to my knees more regularly now than I used to because I'm finding that my gut reaction doesn't usually work, you know, at all. So how often do you take your distress to God as your first resort? How many tears have you poured out to him because you have no other answer, no other comfort, no other security? Be honest with yourself. And how often we fail to be honest with our brothers and sisters about our pain and why? Because we want them to think differently of us? To think that we are the one human being without brokenness, without distress, without pain. Distress is a fact of life. We all have it, and we need each other. We need each other's support and prayers. So why not pray together? So are you distressed today? Go to the Lord and go with one another. Don't leave this building until you've poured out your distress to someone here you trust so that they can pray with you and for you in your distress. Call out to Yahweh God. He will hear. But he doesn't just hear and then think about it. He will hear and respond. In fact, God utterly saves those who call upon him in distress. David's psalm is actually a hymn of thanksgiving at the end of his life because at every turn God has rescued him from his distresses. 
Now, did God always, you know, show up immediately? No. David sat out in that wilderness for a long time while Saul was hunting him down. David endured distress for a long time as he called out to God. But God always responded. Listen to verses 7 through 20. This remarkable picture of God's saving work. In my distress, I called upon Yahweh. To my God, I called. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire, devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him his canopy. Thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. Yahweh thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of Yahweh, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but Yahweh was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. What is this majestic picture of God that we see in these verses? This is like Yahweh thundering from Mount Sinai as he spoke to the people. This is the the creator of the cosmos descending to the earth. This is Jesus returning on a white horse to slay his enemies. This is Yahweh God, the God who hears his people and saves them. So why, friends, why in the world do we seek other saviors? How often we we seek to soften the blow of our distress with earthly things. When we have this God in our corner, when we have this God's ear. And you might think, well, surely God doesn't want to do any kind of miraculous, powerful, saving work. He doesn't want to descend in fire and fury to help me. I mean, maybe David, but not me. That can't be any farther from the truth. If you are in Christ... If you are a child of God, then the Father relates to you in the same way that he does to David. So when you are distressed, call upon the God who hears and he will save you. You may wait with David in the wilderness of distress. You may die on the cross you've been given to bear. But he will answer you. He will save you, have no doubt. Well, how can I say he's going to save us if our suffering, if our distress might kill us? Well, we know this is true. Why? Because all the hopes of the Old Testament were fulfilled in the great king whom David knew would one day come. We know that he's going to save us because all the promises of the Old Testament are made true in the great king. Chris, will you come kick the air down a couple degrees for me, brother? I'm sweating. It's cold outside, I know, so don't make it too cold and everybody be mad at me. Verses 50 and 51. Listen to how David closes this amazing 
chapter. For this I will praise you, O Yahweh, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. So how is it that we can be sure that God will not only hear our prayers of distress, but that he will respond and save us? Well, he doesn't promise immediate relief. David's suffering often lasted for long periods while he cried out to God. But David tells us here a few things. First, he says, great salvation God brings to his king. Uh, Does anyone happen to know the Hebrew word for salvation? Anybody? It's Yeshua, which in English is Joshua, in Greek is Jesus. Now, for Christians, that makes us raise our eyebrow. It's kind of more of a linguistic curiosity, something to rouse our suspicions, something interesting. But David doesn't stop there. Great salvation he brings to his king. And what's the next phrase in verse 51? And shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Now, you may not know the Hebrew word for salvation, but I bet you do know the Hebrew word for anointed. What is it? That's right. It's Messiah. David knew that one of his offspring, a king that would come after him, would be greater than him. One who would set God's people and indeed the whole world free from their distress. How did he know that? Because it was a promise made thousands of years before to Abraham. What had God told Abraham, the one from whom Israel would be born? He says, through your family, all the nations of the world will be blessed. This thing that's gotten messed up by sin, the distress that you wear every day, there will come one who will fix this, who will set all of us free from our distress. So how can we know that God will hear our call? That he will set us free. That every distress we feel, even death itself, will one day be gone forever. How do we know? The promise of salvation through Abraham's family has been made sure in the life, death, and resurrection of his Messiah. The Bible, the whole book, is about this. God sending a king who would set the world free from sin and death and all of its distress. This promise came true when Jesus was born, when he died, and when he was raised again. Jesus is the means by which you can be saved from all your distresses. Can God save you from your distress today? Rich says yes. The rest of you seem undecided. I see, I see that hand. Thank you. He can, and often he does. But on the day that we call, and he doesn't respond immediately, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait, what do we do then? I mean, Matthew 7, Jesus says, if Your son asks you for a piece of bread. Who among you gives him a rock? (laughs) Or or if he asks for a fish, you give him a snake. Even pagans know not to do that. How much more will your heavenly father give you good gifts? 
He always hears. He always answers. And let us not, as we sit under the weight of our distress, begin to think this life is all that there is because there will come a day when Jesus returns and all of our distress will be wiped away. When all of our death will become life. When all of our sins will be forgotten and left behind is the righteousness of Christ so deeply ingrained within us that we can only trust Him, that we can only obey. When all of our relational breakdowns will be healed by the salve of the gospel. On that day when we will see Christ face to face and we will live with one another and you will be free from all that distresses you. This is our sure hope. But let us not think that our God's arm is not strong enough that he can't relieve our distresses even today. So are you distressed? Call out to the God who hears. Christ, the resurrected king, invites you to come and know him. He promises to love you like no other. You may have relationships that are just shattered. Christ will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And because of him, your Father's love and approval are yours forever. Do you feel alienated from God? Feel that alienation no more. Christ on the cross cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was alienated so that you might be adopted into the family of God. So trust him and know the love of God. Do you fear death? Fear no more. Believe in the resurrected Savior, and his resurrection will become your own. You will live forever in heaven and on the new earth. And do you fear the great enemy of your soul? What did Luther say? The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. Why not? We serve the Lord of the universe who with but one word will fell him. The king of Israel. The son of David, the Messiah, is victorious over all of our distresses today. And he will save us, if not in this life, then in the resurrection. Listen, we we all know that distress is a fact of life. We may try to ignore it, to avoid it, or to numb ourselves to it. We may try to hide it from others, but we face all kinds of pain in this life. The Bible assumes that. From Genesis 3 onward, distress is a problem we've all got. But God cares. He cares enough to reach out to us, offering to save us in our distress. He came to this earth. He suffered our distress with us and for us. He defeated our sin, our suffering, and our death so that we could be saved from it. So why not go to him? When you are distressed, call upon the God who hears. Last week, y'all know, I went to visit my grandmother for a couple of days. She's been in and out of hospitals and rehabs uh, since June or I think July, actually. And Monday morning, she was scheduled with the first procedure of two while I was there. And we were just sitting and talking about uh, this and that and everybody in the family. Because that's, you know, that's what family does, right? And I... I was so blindsided by this question, just in the middle of conversation while Gunsmoke was on the TV. She says, why is God letting this happen to me? It's been so long that I've just been laying in these hospital beds. She sounded like David when he cried out and said, how long, O Yahweh, will you forget me forever? This is the same guy that wrote 2 Samuel 22. 
How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Yahweh, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. But I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to Yahweh because he has dealt bountifully with me. I don't want you to think that both of these things can't be true. That you don't feel the distress and that it doesn't seem like it's going on. It doesn't seem like God is hearing you. But at the same time, you can trust his promises. You know what I told her when she asked why God's letting this happen? I said, I don't know. I don't know why it's taken you this so long to get better. I don't know why this is happening in this way and at this time. But one thing is sure. He hears us when we pray. But listen, folks, there's, there's going to come a day when you pray a prayer. And God's going to say no. You're going to pray to get better. You're going to pray to get safe. But to be safe, and it's just not going to happen. We're all going to die. But every prayer for healing, every prayer for help, every prayer for our distress to be healed, they will all be answered on the day that Jesus returns. That was, my, that was my comfort to her in her hospital bed. And that is our hope, friends. Not in this life. Not in earthly comforts, earthly pleasures, earthly life. Our hope is the hope of Christ, the hope of resurrection. So go to him and pray boldly. Be brazen like a little child just asking for the most ridiculous things of their parents at all times. Go to God and pour out your heart. When you're distressed, call upon the God who hears. He will listen. And he will answer. If not in this life, then in the next. He will descend from the heavens in remarkable glory and power to deliver you. When you're distressed, call upon the God who hears and he will save you. Let's pray. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are under distress today. And I pray that you would give them the courage and the faith call out to you alone, but also with us, that together we might see your glory and power and how you answer, and that all glory would go to you. As we pray in the name of Christ, amen.